0: data we create as individuals should be ours and we should have some say over how it's used and we should not be abused and manipulated because we happen to have these boxes in our pockets and we walk around all day
1: i'm evan smith the ceo of the texas tribune and you're listening to conversations with the texas tribune a rebroadcast of the Tribune's extended sit-downs with the most interesting, influential, and iconic figures in politics and public policy. This week, with popular apps and platforms under fire for their role in the hot mess presidential election of 2016, we ask the question on everyone's lips, is social media good for democracy? Access to news and information about politics and issues hinges on the reliability, provenance, and credibility of those providing it. And yet, as we discover anew with each passing day, so much of what we encounter in our algorithmically controlled feeds is polluted by bad actors and abetted by those who turn the dials behind the scenes. To discuss this of-the-moment topic, we convened a discussion with four friends, the real kind, not the social media kind, at the 2018 Texas Tribune Festival. Jim Brady, the CEO of Spirited Media and the former public editor of ESPN, Roger McNamee, the legendary managing director at the media and tech investment firm Elevation Partners, Vivian Schiller, the CEO of the Civil Media Foundation and the former head of news at Twitter, And Siva Vaidyanathan, director of the Center for Media and Citizenship at the University of Virginia and author of Anti-Social Media, How Facebook Disconnects Us and Undermines Our Democracy. Gene Park, embedded audience editor at the Washington Post's Opinion Desk, moderated. Our conversation was recorded live on Friday, September 28, 2018, at the headquarters of the Texas Public Policy Foundation in Austin. Conversations with the Texas Tribune is presented by Texas A&M University. Texas A&M sends more students into the world to study abroad than any public university in the nation. Learn more about how the state's first public institution of higher education is impacting Texas and beyond at www.tamu.edu slash beyondtexas. And by Texas State Technical College. Serving Texas for over 50 years, Texas State Technical College has placed more than 100,000 graduates in great paying jobs. Learn more about the Get-A-Job College at tstc.edu.
2: Let me start with a quote that I think really summarizes our panel very well. It's from Zeynep Tufekci, uh, and she writes uh, a lot about uh, the sociological impacts on social media. And she's written recently, for the longest time, we thought that as speech became more democratized, democracy itself would flourish. And as more and more people would broadcast their words and opinions, there would be an ever, ever fiercer battle of ideas, with truth emerging as the winner, stronger from the fight. But in 2018, it's increasingly clear that more speech can, in fact, threaten democracy. The glut of information we now face, made possible by digital tools and social media platforms, can bury what is true, greatly elevate and amplify misinformation, and distract from what is important. So let's get the, question, the answer to the question right out for the panel. Um, is social media good for democracy? We do a quick yes or no, give or take five words, because I know it's complicated. So, Vivian.
3: <laughs> yes or <and> no.
4: <laughs> <laughs> okay.
3: It's complicated.
4: Yeah. No, indisputable. It's really good for organizing events. It's horrific for deliberation. <laughs> it's horrific for debate.
0: See what no. we know your Answer. Yeah. Again. You don't want. Uh, I do want to point out that Zenep Tuvecki. Got her PhD from the University of Texas. Yep. <laughs> so. Jim,
5: just uh, stick to five words. Not now, but could be. Okay.
2: Um, I think the next question might be more important. And Roger, this is something that, that you brought up uh, in our previous discussion. Can democracy survive social media? Let's go to an immediate concern, the midterms, right? Uh, we, we got uh, an important election coming up in, uh, in a couple weeks. During the 2016 elections, these platforms could not or did not act at the disinformation campaign happening right in the houses that they built. It's been 18 months and the platforms are only now starting to admit their role. Uh, Give us your assessment
4: of where they're at. Are they being proactive or reactive? Uh, Roger, let's start with you. So here's what the problem is. I love using Facebook. I I like using Twitter. I love using YouTube. And I think most of us really like using these products. The problem is that the way they're designed, they're designed to monopolize our attention. And they do that because they sell advertising to survive. And there's nothing wrong with that except this. These products have giant artificial intelligence and they create specific programming for each of us. Think of Facebook as 2.2 billion Truman Shows. Each person with their own set of facts, their own reality. That creates a situation where there's no incentive to listen to other points of view, There's no incentive to compromise. The problem that we have here is that these companies, Facebook in particular, viewed having global reach, having the whole world connected on one network as such an obviously good idea, that it never occurred to them that people would use the products differently than they were intended to be used. It never occurred to them that emotional contagion could break out. So they never made provisions, either in terms of circuit breakers or containment strategies to prevent that contagion from doing harm. They believe this so deeply that the changes that they've made are at the margin. They don't actually go after the core problem, which is the business model. And they've come much, much too late for the, you know, Facebook's actually made some well-intended changes over the last couple of months. But those are changes that if they'd done them two years ago, might well have helped us for 2018. But as it is, we'll be lucky if they help us in 2020. I'm terrified. And the most important thing is, we, they're, gonna f- they're gonna use this stuff to suppress the vote, so we have to make everyone we know vote. I mean, vote whatever your conscience tells you to do. But everyone has to vote, because these things are the most perfect weapons of disinformation for voter suppression ever created. Vivian, a lot of your work at Civil uh, uh, is concerned with
2: information. Uh, how do you feel about what's going on right now?
3: Well. Um- I, I agree with Roger. I, w- I want to just because I feel like we are, a, we are a social media platform bashing panel, which is fine. There is much to bash. Mm-hmm. I do want to say and I'll tell you a word about Civil after that but I do want to say, my, my closest experience is, I worked at civil. I was the global head of news at civil. And uh, <laughs> Twitter. Sorry. I worked mm-hmm. at Twitter. I work at civil now. <laughs> I was the global head. Of <laughs> I've had a lot of jobs. Um, <laughs> uh, I was the global head of news at Twitter. And there, I- there are issues with Twitter. I could spend a long time telling you about the issues with Twitter. However, there was something really wonderful, I just wanna get this out, uh, in the democratization of the way that people could get information, and more importantly, that eyewitnesses could share information about what they were seeing on the ground. So there is, it, there's a kernel of something really wonderful there that unfortunately, and here's where I'm gonna <laughs> turn negative again, can get bastardized by uh, the impact of algorithms, which is exactly what Roger's getting at, which is an algorithm which is filtering what you see based on what the tech company thinks you want to see, which will keep you on site longer, which will sell more ads, and on and on. And um, and in Twitter, particularly, there's issues of abuse. That's not necessarily the subject we're here to talk about. I mean, one of the things we're doing, and I won't go on a long uh, rampage about civil as much as I would love to, is one of the reasons I wanted to join this startup is because we want to correct. Uh, you know, there's a lot of skepticism about blockchain, but one of the things we want to do, because blockchain is so nascent, in the same way that, you know, in the early 90s, you know, the World Wide Web was nascent, and in the early O's, these uh, these platforms were nascent. We want to begin by anticipating the things that could go wrong and built in exactly what Roger was saying, built in the mechanisms to guard against those from the get go. This This sort of techno-utopianism that was sort of embraced by tech companies that if we just give everybody the tools, the world will become a happy, wonderful place and we'll all be good is sadly just not reality.
2: Siva, would you like to, your specialty is Facebook.
0: When we talk about democracy, we can't just stick to um, stuff I like, movements I like, results I like, right? Democracy is much messier than that. Democracy means being able to suspend your um, indignation when stuff you like doesn't happen and your side loses. Uh, Sometimes that feels tougher and tougher to do every day. So what do I mean by Facebook undermines democracy? Well, democracy requires two dynamics in any democratic republic. Number one is motivation. You have to be able to organize among people who are like-minded, share tasks and agendas, get them to show up in a certain place at a certain time, get them to take some action, ultimately voting, right? Uh, But it's not limited to voting. It also means getting together to voice your opinion, getting together to um, shout someone down if it comes to it, right? There are all these different ways that democracy works as a cultural phenomenon, not just an electoral phenomenon. But the other and I think more important part of democracy, dynamic of democracy is deliberation. The more and more that we perform our politics through Facebook and to a lesser extent Twitter, the less and less we focus on deliberation. Those mediums are not good for deliberation. In fact, they're, they're um, designed horribly for deliberation. They're designed for quick thinking. They're designed for pulling yeah. your mind away from one train of thought to another, derailing trains of thought. They're, they're designed to fracture your attention. They're designed to make you think that the next thing you see might be more interesting than the last thing you see. They're also designed explicitly to favor short bursts of expression eruptions rather than deliberations, eruptions rather than thought. If you consider the effect in a macro sense and the effect that the success of companies like Facebook and Google have had in advertising to undermine the ability of work, the ability to produce work that actually does engage deeply with thought, you see a big long-term problem. Because we do so much of our activity through these media, because we spend so much of our time and perform our politics on Facebook, on WhatsApp, on Twitter to a lesser degree, we are becoming worse at thinking, thinking collectively, considering ways to address problems that affect us all. We can't think our way out of problems anymore, it seems. Not that we were ever great at it, but we always <laughs> thought we were always striving to be better at it. And for most of US history, and let's say human history, we've been inching toward that sense. We've got to be better at deliberating about our problems. We've got to at least start from a shared set of facts. Even that seems to be eroding. Now, Facebook didn't start that problem, but Facebook turns out to be the perfect platform for any force in the world that benefits from undermining the practices and culture of democracy. If you wanted to invent a propaganda platform, a propaganda system, to support authoritarianism, to support nationalism, you could not invent one better than Facebook. <laughs> no,
2: the- Jim, you're, you're in local journalism, and you've been in, in working in national journalism for a long yeah. time. Uh, We've got a midterms coming up. Uh, what, what, what are you seeing?
5: Well, I mean, I think in, in social media in general, I mean, we, I was mentioning last night the Mark Twain quote about mm-hmm. statistics, which I think is a perfect summation also of social media, which is. Uh, people use statistics like a drunk uses a lamppost not for illumination but for support and and I do think it applies perfectly to social which is people show up you know I'll my experiences on the in the ESPN ombudsman job the most disappointing thing you realize rather quickly I'm so awkwardly positioned here sorry hello everybody back there Um, is that people don't really want to debate the issue they want to discredit the arguer right so it's like instead of saying um, I don't like your argument, I'm going to try to take your argument apart. You know, I had the biggest controversy I had there was over uh, Jamel Hill's comment about Trump and white supremacy, um, and a lot of people didn't agree with the column, and that's fine. But, it, you know, but when I tried to get into debates with people about the actual issue, they were too busy going back through seven years of my tweets trying to find something they could pull out that would discredit me rather than take on the argument, and I'm not an idiot. I've been on Twitter for seven years and you can go through there and you're pretty much going to know. I'm a huge Jets fan and they make my life miserable. (laughs) You
4: know?
5: I travel and stay in a lot of hotels and I have opinions about digital media. But you think you're going to find like something in there that's really problematic, good luck. But that was the instinct people had was I just need to attack you. And the idea that you, because I don't like the idea that you had. And I think that's, that's what bothers me the most is sort of the dehumanization of people on social media, which is you're just a thing I need to knock down because you're in my way. Rather than a human being, we should be debated with. So, and I think that's the real—that's the fear I have—is I don't see that getting any better look, in the environment. Look what we where... saw yesterday. Yeah, yeah. It's
3: a perfect encapsulation of the worst of that.
5: And and to be honest, like whatever side of that you're on, you have 20 million yeah. people on Twitter mocking people who are under a thousand times more pressure than any of us will be under probably in our lives, and it just feels a little—it feels a little uh, like we're just like, mining people's pain and grief. or str- I just It feels bad watching and it. it feels like a circus to me. It's dehumanizing. It's And that's, that's the fear. Like, this is a great opportunity to talk to all these people who you couldn't get to normally. And then I, I tweet a lot less than I used to because I just have gotten to the point where, what's the point?
4: Well, this, this is a really important thing. The education system that we've all been going through for the last year and a half about what these things are doing has changed people's behavior. In North America and Western Europe, we are on average spending less time on Facebook than we used to. And the really important thing to recognize is that just because something is shared by someone who is either a friend or a group you belong to doesn't mean it's reliable, right? That's been the hardest thing. No, but I'm not joking. It, there's a natural, t- you want to believe that the stuff coming from your friends is better, right? And I think we all kind of innocently went for that, myself included. And so that was a hard thing to come to grips with. And the, the challenge that we face here is that the problem is there, you know, there's not just the democracy issue. There's public health issues. Think about children in particular, teenagers. Um, think about the privacy issues, and then think about the dampening effect of having monopolists running the most important sectors of our economy. But in the democracy space, we have a midterm election coming up, and there's a lot of attention right now towards foreign interference, so the Russians or Iran have already been caught, and now there are accusations of China. But we're not paying attention to the fact that there's also domestic threats. The Cambridge Analytica data set is still in the hands of one party. The hacked information of the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee and the Democratic National Committee is still in the hands of the other party. Those are tools which, when used inside Facebook, had an enormous impact in 2016, and are going to have some impact this time around. Now the key question is can we get enough people to vote to offset that impact? That's really what this is about. And by the way, when I say offset, whatever side you vote on, what you want to do is have a free and fair election. We want to have everybody be registered, we want everybody to vote what their beliefs are. I'm I'm completely with with, with Siva on this issue. You know, if, if the country, has fair information and votes for one side that I haven't disagree with, God bless, that's democracy. But that's not what we have today. What we have now is an imbalance created because the economic interests of these guys require them to try to get us into outrage cycles, right? The way you keep people engaged, you appeal, appeal to their low-level lizard brain emotions, fear <laughs> and anger, right? I mean, there's this whole thing on YouTube, the three degrees of Alex Jones, right? <laughs> When you go onto YouTube, there are dozens of categories where the first thing you look at is real, and then each of the recommendations after that is conspiracy theories. By the third one, you're at Alex Jones. And that's only because he's peak conspiracy, right? And so you know, my point is, it's not about politics. Those things aren't about politics. They're about generating economic value through emotions. right? And allowing that kind of thing to intersect with democracy is just an inherently bad idea. Let's
2: uh, move off platforms a little bit and segue into what all of you I think uh, talked about, about the effect on the consumer. Um, great modern thinker, Dave Chappelle, uh, uh, said this in his Netflix special recently. Uh, he was talking about the Challenger and how uh, you know, when uh, everyone was watching the Challenger, the teacher would roll in the TV and then you would watch it explode and then you would have hours to process about what happened. And then nowadays, especially this week probably, uh, uh, you know, it feels like every day it's a challenger. So he wonders, how can you care about anything when you know everything, right? Um, and this is something, Roger, that, that I've watched some of your interviews recently too. Uh, if you're trying to maintain attention, if you're fighting for a share of 24 hours of people's lives, it turns out that the way you pe- keep people's attention is you either scare them or make them angry, which is kind of what you said. Um, and then there's all these concepts about Newer it, marketing and it, ego depletion. And it, it's also worse.
4: The, the other problem is because of the existence of Google, uh-huh. the value of, of genuine expertise and knowledge has been eliminated because we, we come to believe that because Google's available, we're an expert. right? We can look up our own medical diagnosis. We can look up all the... No, I'm, hang on. Seriously, I do it. I, I got to believe many of you do this also, right? And the problem is if you don't value expertise, then suddenly it's harder mm-hmm. to address hard problems. So
2: what is the, uh, where is a consumer on this? Uh, well, let's, are we... let's
0: be careful. None of us are consumers unless we're buying ads.
4: Yeah, right? OK. The, the,
0: ad, the advertisers are the consumers. Sure. We're cattle.
4: Cattle. We're, we're fuel, really. Okay, I don't feel, we're, moral. We're, <laughs> yeah.
0: we're pods in the matrix. Whatever you want to say, right? <laughs> we're, but we're, like, our role to these companies is um, trivial mm-hmm. as individuals, mm-hmm. and that's a hard thing for Americans, especially, to get into their minds. Like, um, your actions are limited. Your range of responses is limited if you're considering your range of responses only in terms of your relationship to these companies, right? First of all, try going without Google for a week, right? Good luck at that, right? Um, uh, we're so dependent, and became so dependent in no time. Company's been around for 20 years, right? You've probably been using it regularly for 18 years, 16 years, something like that, uh, and you are deeply dependent on it. I am too. We all are. That's weird. It's also really dangerous. Um, the company can change. The company can shift. The company can go away. Not soon, right? There are lots of ways that, sure that it should are. trouble us. Um, our relationship with Facebook is that we are one of 2.2 billion people. That's a lot of commas and a lot of zeros. That's eight zeros after the second two, right? That's, that, think of how many things in the world touch 2.2 billion people, like there's oxygen, there's water, and there's Facebook, right? I mean, that's a third of the population of the earth, and Facebook does no business in China, yet, right? So that's stunning. Not only that, so yeah, Roger said, the time used uh, for Facebook in North America has dipped, the enrollment, with Facebook or monthly active users for Facebook in North America has flatlined, but North America means less and less every day. Uh, There are 220 million Facebook users in the United States. There are 250 million Facebook users in India. That's only a quarter of the population of India. And the growth there is substantial. And also the growth in GDP per capita and GDP per year is substantial in India as well, so over time, Facebook is much more about India than the United States. So what do we do as Americans who are concerned? Well, not much, right? Quitting Facebook's not going to make a difference to Facebook. Facebook doesn't care. It will shut you off from your cousin whose kid is about to graduate from high school, you know, who you might talk to once a year. And that's a loss, right? That's a real thing. 2.2 billion people aren't fools. We all use Facebook for some reason, usually some good reason, Mm. right? Uh, But what's left to us, if we're not consumers and we can't boycott, right, because nobody will care. And if we're not valuable as just one person among 2.2 billion, then all that's left to us is to behave as citizens. Behaving as citizens is our hardest job. There's no manual, there's no licensing for it, but it means that you have to, first of all, um, convince yourself uh, of certain things in the world, right? Train yourself, educate yourself, um, and then align yourself with other people who care and then motivate yourself to push for some change at the regulatory or legislative level, this is all really hard and getting harder every day. And the door's closing on us. So if we don't act as citizens, if we don't say, here are some important values that the data we create as individuals should be ours and we should have some say over how it's used and we should not be abused and manipulated because we happen to have these boxes in our pockets and we walk around all day. We didn't agree to let all of that location data end up in the hands of who knows who through these systems, which is basically what happened. Cambridge Analytica is like nothing compared to the real spread of data from Facebook for many years. So what we've ultimately got to do is assert ourselves to our governments and demand that they take our interests more seriously than they take these companies. Again, not an easy thing to do, The path forward is not clear. It's going to take many years to even come up with a successful legislative agenda if there is one. But I don't think we have much choice. Vivian, you wanted to add something?
3: Oh, no, I was just going to say it's actually worse than that um because <laughs> thank you for
0: coming to our ted talk i've given hundreds of these talks that's the first time i've heard that
5: <laughs> don't be so nice to them <laughs> we'll be serving stiff drinks in the lobby after this yeah, time, no, yeah, so. yeah, exactly. no beer be- though no more beer God. <laughs> i
3: love beer i still yeah. love beer um, so sorry <laughs> No, which is that you know, in this country, yes, we are all you know, we're probably all Facebook users, and it does add value, like you say. But in some parts of the world, Facebook is the internet. We have Mm -hmm. other options, and we live in it in a in a country with a First Amendment. Yes, it's perhaps under assault. Yes, the press is under assault. However, there are other sources of information. There are parts of the world where Facebook truly, like Myanmar where Facebook is the internet. And that is the sole source of information where it's about uh, your mobile phone, there's no laptop, there's not, you know, there's not broadband, and that is, uh, it's even scarier in those parts of the world.
5: I, I would just say one thing, though, is that um, Facebook, all, all the platforms are clearly accelerating a lot of these problems, but sometimes we have to be honest and look at, look at these things and we have to look at ourselves in the mirror, too. That you know, hyper partisanship started before Facebook and Twitter were you mm-hmm. know started in the early two thousands, Iraq war. We had those social media platforms were early nineties really. Yeah, oh, well I mean it got worse. Hyper partisanship
0: started when um, one of the apostles decided to turn
5: on Well, that's true. <laughs> yeah. But, but I would say it's certainly gotten a lot worse in the last fifteen years that even preceded a little bit of the social and I think at times we you know, like I I, think, I, I just don't think we should absolve our, ourselves right. as humans. But let's our, remember that yeah. we we're talking about
0: what people in my business, forgive me, call socio-technical systems. Yeah. To, to examine the technology independent of human values and actions and right. habits uh, leaves you uh, un, un, unable yeah. to actually make sense of it. To examine society absent the tech tools that we use is, does the same thing. Facebook affects us as people, people affect Facebook. It's a cycle, it's dynamic, right? So what we see here is exactly that. These, these, these tendencies predate Facebook, but Facebook yes. amplifies all these Correct. tendencies. Well, it, just, just one more thing. But here's the thing about, um, about understanding the dynamic relationship. Um, we, we, uh, all of these tools extend what we already do, right? Extend things we want to do. We have to choose our tools carefully. Now, our species has been around for millions of years. Facebook's been around since 2004. Um, so we weren't about to fix ourselves in a hurry, yeah. right, right? right? So at least we can focus on trying to fix Facebook mm-hmm. in the short term. So
4: the thing I would observe is if you go to the mid-50s, the generation that dominated as adults in America then had gone through the Depression and through the Second World War using collective action as the way you solved problems. It's how we built beat the Nazis, it's how we beat the Depression, it's how we built the highway system, how we went to the moon. But beginning in the 50s, the consumer uh, marketing world really began. So in, say, 1955, the average adult was an engaged citizen. The, actively average, the partic- average white adult. Fair enough. Well, actually, really well said. So the average white adult was an engaged citizen. The business strategy was to convert everybody into a consumer, give them what they wanted. Right? So if you're an engaged citizen, you understand compromise is part of the process of democracy. If you are a consumer and used to getting what you want, that isn't the same thing. After 9-11, President Bush said to us, the thing you can do as a citizen to be the most helpful to this country is to go shopping. That is three years before Facebook was launched. So it was three years after Google was launched, three years before Facebook. The reason this matters is that, again, they didn't create this thing. We were a nation of passive consumers, not active citizens, before they showed up. What they did was to provide the perfect tools to manipulate a country of passive consumers for political ends. And we didn't see it coming. I didn't see it coming. I suspect most of you didn't see it coming. And the challenge is what are we gonna do about it now? This isn't about whether you're left or right. This is about are you an American or are you not an American? Do you believe in the Constitution? Do you not believe in the Constitution? Do you believe in equal opportunity? Do you not believe in equal opportunity? The underlying technology of social media and search are not the problem. It is the business model and the incentives created by it that creates the problem. And because these companies are monopolists, it's impossible for new entrants to come in and deliver a different model. So when we're thinking about policy solutions, the first thing you have to find is a way to create space for alternatives to develop. And that can't happen. I say this as somebody who spent 35 years creating these kinds of companies. It's currently not possible. The reason so much money is going into crypto, the reason so much money is going to scooters, the reason so much money is going to businesses that do things your mother used to do for you, is because there are no traditional technology opportunities now because they're blocked by these guys.
2: Let's uh, dovetail real quick into the media and uh, our role in it, right? Um, Damon Boyd uh, spoke recently at O and A about uh, the, manipulation media, Austin, <laughs> uh, the manipulation of media here in Austin. The manipulation of media and reporters, signal boosting. Uh, these these the, these uh, these things that, that adds to the questions of of the nature of our, rea- of our reality is this uh, is this a matter of comprehensive uh, uh, training that we need to do in the media um, I- even within this realm there's there, there's debate wow. about the media's culpability in spreading uh, disinformation uh, Vivian yeah. I want to talk to you yeah. and Jim yeah. you as well
3: yeah well the the the, the challenge is um, the media that that journalists by and large it's really I don't want to compete it with such a broad brush, but, the, but what, what, what people generally call the mainstream, mainstream media, quality media, has not sort of caught up with the changing norms in society today. And so we as journalists have been trained all our lives to be sort of even-tempered, to, uh, you know, to state the facts, listen to the other side, provide a voice to the other side. Uh, if there's something people are talking about, to present it in a cool, rational uh, fashion uh, yes, to debunk it, but it might be paragraph six. And there is just the the metabolism that has has come from you know, the kind of rhetoric from a president who's sort of tweeting his id, and from everything that we've been talking about in this panel, the way news has circulated. Journalists, by and large, are having a hard time with this. I mean, they've never had to deal, we've never had to deal before with uh, a situation where lies the word lie is really hard for journalists to say are coming at us so fast and then so there's this deliberation well it's a lie if it is absolutely premeditated and intentional it's a misstatement if it's this and you just you know you get into this kind of socratic conversation and the next thing you know you know the the, the train has left the station and so it's very it's 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 you're seeing a news media that is sort of convulsing and trying to adapt keep journalistic standards, which is absolutely must happen, but adapting to the norms of the world we live in today.
5: And I'd even add to that, I I pity everybody who's a White House court, or anybody covering politics these days, because for a long time we've been encouraging them to show more voice in social media, they wanna build their following, Mm -hmm. because this is a marketing tool, and so you're you're sort of encouraging people to be a little edgier, than they used to be, mm-hmm. and so now you're a White House reporter, and you say something like, "I don't think what Trump said is true," and all of a sudden you're getting killed for saying like, "Oh, now you're throwing opinions out there." And at the same time, you have a you know uh, people who are trying to attack reporters, and they do what, what I mentioned earlier: go back, do like two years of tweets, find three Maggie Haberman tweets that they can use to discredit her rather than actually challenge the reporting. So I do pity the reporters who are yeah. in that position of being told, "Have more voice, be more energetic, talk to people on social media," but like. Don't do anything that's going to cause a
0: problem. The same applies to sports center anchors. Yeah, right, right. Same so, to
5: sports center anchors, well, right? <laughs> Just be more aggressive. And we want them to know. I mean, when I was doing the ESPN job, ESPN was very clear. They wanted the anchors to show more personality. They wanted them to be open about what teams they rooted for rather than keeping that to themselves. And that got into politics and got them into some trouble. But the, the idea is they are give, being given very difficult tight ropes to walk. And, you know, often, and, and the problem is, Gene knows this too, often you find out when you violated a social media policy after, you, like, after you've done it. Like, you, you don't really know exactly what the line in the policy is, and the only way you find out that you violate it is when someone says they can't do that. It's like, well, where is it in this document? So
4: the, the other problem you have here is that Google in particular, and now Facebook, have really undermined the economics oh, of absolutely. journalism. And they've they used this protection of a, of a rule called Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act, which was originally a safe harbor to protect the nascent yeah. internet from nuisance lawsuits over uh, pornography and over copyright violations. And they've used that safe harbor and basically completely destroyed the economics of media. At the same time, Twitter comes along, and an industry that had historically followed the Associated Press feed as the starting point shifts over to Twitter because it's trying to be more current and trying to get with this program of the guys who are destroying them. Well, the problem with that is that the AP attempted to be about substance, and Twitter is about trending. And so journalism shifted to this model where you're trying to maintain historic standards while also trying to appeal to this trending thing. And it turned out it wasn't very good at either one of these things, right? And- We've also got this cult of personality where the whole economy has tried to adopt the culture of technology, because technology is so important that we want our leaders in every industry to adopt the ethos of these people who are, shall we say, not completely balanced, right? They don't have full liberal arts educations, and so maybe they aren't, in fact, that, that model may not, in fact, be appropriate outside of tech, in fact, may not even be appropriate inside tech. And, That circularity is a really severe problem, and again, it's gonna be super hard to break without everybody getting together.
0: let's not let the algorithms off the hook either. So what Dana Boyd was talking about um, was this notion of algorithmic amplification and the fact that we, at this point in time, are fairly powerless against these um, dynamic movements that spread garbage, so you can, you know, the phrase fake news which I think is thoroughly inadequate to discuss yeah. this phenomenon is often deployed for this. But think about garbage in general, conspiracy theories. Um,
4: uh, the business is driven by conspiracy well, theories.
0: So here's, here's why, right? So let's say uh, today I go home and uh, I look on uh, The Economist website and I see a really well thought out, well reported, um, deep analysis of how the coalition government in Italy is challenging Current European Union monetary policy. Who's falling asleep at this point? Right? So, <laughs> believe me, I've been putting 20-year-olds to sleep for years with this. So, I, I know how to do it. Um, and look, I put that on Facebook. Um, maybe I have a friend in Italy. Maybe I have a friend who's really into monetary policy. Give me a thumbs up on it, right? Ah, yeah, nice. Nice that you posted that, right? But chances are, I can guarantee you that article will sink like a stone on Facebook. It's just not getting shared. It's just not going anywhere, right? But it's about something really important. If I then post something like, some wacky stuff like, you know, vaccines cause autism. Or, you know, uh, Barack Obama was born in Kenya. I would immediately, and I can even, like, find a web page that supports this. I can find, definitely find a YouTube video that supports this, right? And I post it on Facebook. <laughs> immediately, what I will get from my group of friends are hundreds, maybe thousands of angry responses showing me why I'm wrong, links to... Uh, you know, actually well-researched pieces, maybe the Centers for Disease Control, you know, maybe maybe some, you know, some major newspaper, uh, and they will debunk what I have claimed, they will argue against it, all very effectively. And that's what we're all taught to do, right? We're taught if someone puts something out there to undermine it with facts or address it with facts and try to change his or her mind or at least the audience's mind. That's what we're supposed to do in life as well as in a democratic republic. But you do it on Facebook, and you just amplify what I just put. So that means that nutcase thing I just put up there hits more news feeds faster more often and higher because it gets hundreds of comments, and that's what Facebook counts as engagement. Facebook only measures it mathematically, not qualitatively. Facebook doesn't care that what I wrote is absolutely nutcase stuff. The very fact that it got hundreds of people responding to me amplified it, and somewhere along the line, someone might buy what I said. Right, somebody out there might buy what I said. You cannot <laughs> yeah. argue with the crazy on Facebook. Yeah. I just
3: want yeah, I just want to up level this conversation while we're talking about journalism because I think mm-hmm. it's really, really important. There are forgive me if I get pedantic for a second. We are facing twin crises in when it comes to news media. And by the way, when, we're, when we talk about a crisis in journalism, it's a crisis for citizens, because journalism's enable democracies to flourish. So it's not about journalists keeping jobs, okay? It's about, all of, it's about all of us. There are twin crises, it's a perfect, crisis number one is the trust crisis, everything we've talked about, which is the foundation of agreed upon fact is eroding really fast. Mm-hmm. You've seen it, we see it time and time again, we've been talking about it. This in and of itself is cataclysmic. The second crisis is the financial model. So the old ways that news organizations were able to support themselves have collapsed. Uh, Facebook and Google, to their credit, have found a brilliant way to suck up a lot of those, add dollars to pull a lot of that revenue in. These two, and this is not just in the United States, everywhere in the world. You have these two massive things colliding, both of which have been enabled by social media. And that is, these two things are leading to the crisis that we're in. The most important thing, now I'm going to get on my soapbox just for one second, the most important thing you could do, I'm I'm amused that this is, you know, a water company, my bottle says support nonprofit news. So support Texas Tribune, the greater Texas water company tells you, um, support your local news organization, whether it's nonprofit or not that are doing important work, support what we're doing at Civil, support Journalism, buy, your, um, buy subscriptions, pay for membership, do whatever you can because it is essential.
6: I have a hopeful note. Can I add to I have a hopeful statement. Yeah.
3: Support Jim Brady's <laughs> news right. efforts. Speaking well, I, of news, <laughs> we
2: just had breaking news. As many as 90 million Facebook users will have to log back into their accounts after the social network admitted on Friday that hackers have stolen security tokens yeah. associated with 50 million uh, user profiles. I log- now I know why I happened. log on today. It's time to yeah. sell.
5: I, I, I do, do no, want to say, say one thing, taken at, at a very local perspective. You know, there's that, that stat that 10% of people think the Senate's doing a good job, or the Congress is doing a good job, but 50% of people like their congressmen. There is a little bit of that in local news, that you know, more people like their local news organization, they think they like the media. And if you look at the quality of the dialogue when you get closer to the ground, it is much better. Like on the three sites that we run, you don't see as much of the absolute horror that you see discussing national and global issues. And so I am hopeful that, that's why I said hopeful. I do think that area is an area where there, hopefully we don't go down There's the more
4: path. hopeful than that because we actually have the power here. And this is the thing that's been so hard for all of us to recognize. These companies need us. Yes, we are just the fuel, but they need fuel to run these things. So if we change our behavior, but more importantly, if we let our voices be heard, I started with one other person in April a year ago just running into rooms with my hair on fire, okay? And at that time, there was no conversation at all. Now there's this conversation. He's been working on this for 10 years. There's a real thing going on here. And here's the key point. In order to give journalism a chance, we have to stop the destruction of its model by these guys. And the only way to do that is the good old-fashioned way. We can actually use their tools to organize people into indivisible groups, into the equivalent of book clubs. Because look, if you have teenage children, you have to protect them against Instagram. You really do. You have to protect them against texting, because this is killing a whole generation of young people. And this is a disaster. And we have to organize politically the same way. We have to reduce the share of voice that these companies have in our public square, and we have to insist that they bear the full cost. If they're gonna run the public square, they have to assume the responsibility. And we have the political power to make that happen.
2: So let's talk about regulation. Because uh, I know, do you guys have questions? Questions? You might wanna ask questions? I wanna make time for questions. But let's talk about regulation. Uh, we, we talked last night about it being a blunt instrument. Like, like right. is that something that? So there,
0: there are two pieces of, Legislation I would like to see, they're both necessary but insufficient. They're also highly unlikely, as all legislation is currently highly unlikely. (laughs) Number one is, uh, we need data protection in the United States uh, along the model of the general general data protection regulation. In Europe, uh, it's under consideration in Brazil, it's under consideration in Australia. And it's been implemented in California. California, uh, to halfway. 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 Um, But what we have right now is kind of an ugly scene where the California law is a thorn to these companies and so they are actually working to write the bill in Congress to undermine the California law. The same way that auto companies always try to undermine CAFE standards and you know, mileage standards in California so it doesn't affect the whole country. Um, so we got a problem there. That's trivia, though, for now. The other thing that we really have to do is reinvigorate antitrust to be more like antitrust was in the early part of the 20th century when it, when it was concerned with the concentrations of power, not just the ability to set prices in the market. Uh, it's been degraded down to a simple arithmetic formula. Uh, the person who's most responsible for doing that, by the way, is Robert Bork. Um, I know that was his first career before everything spun out of control since. Um, but you know, we really have had no effective... Antitrust for decades, with uh, occasional exceptions, uh, as Microsoft might argue. But ultimately, we need to be able to look at companies that have um, managed to either purchase or quash potential competitors at the gestational level, which is what Facebook and Google have been doing for years. There's no reason why Facebook should have been allowed to buy Instagram. There's no reason why Facebook should have been allowed to buy WhatsApp. But right now, the big, the top social media platforms in the world, if you take out two of them that only operate in China. And you go through the top five, they are Facebook with 2.2 billion users, YouTube with 1.9 billion users. Then it goes three of them at a, between 800 million and a billion, WhatsApp, Facebook Messenger, Instagram. All of them owned by Facebook. Four of the top five are owned by
4: Facebook. WhatsApp's at now. Is it? Oh my gosh.
0: Yeah. I had a good week. Um, <laughs> all right, so yeah. So look, that's the level of concentration we have in that industry. And that affects advertisers, right? So if advertisers can find a reason to complain, but right now, this whole system's great for advertisers, so they're not complaining, which is why we as citizens need to address it in a different way. We can't be plaintiffs in this, but we've gotta make sure that our legislators work on this, but it's gonna take a decade. That's why I say it's necessary but insufficient. It has to actually weirdly start in the law review articles and then build their way into the case law and get some new appointments to the FTC. Again, too geeky. You don't want to need to know all this. But that's really all that's on the table right now. But what we really need to do as citizens is build up those institutions, support those institutions that help us think. Because that's what we've given up on. We need, to, we need to reinvest in public libraries, public schools, public universities. We need to reinvest in institutions, rooms like this that let people come together, talk, hear, think. We need to reinvest in journalistic institutions like the Texas Tribune, like ProPublica, we need to make sure we value, not just with our dollars, but with our voices, the good work done by good journalists, even for publications that are imperfect. Right? We should not hold a grudge against that. We have to do this, not just because we like this story that says this, that makes us feel better and smarter. We have to do this because in the long run, democracy depends on it. We have to rebuild those institutions so we can actually think, because otherwise we have nothing else to work with.
4: It, one more thing, though, we also have to reach out to people with whom we disagree and find our areas of common ground, right? Well, I was, I was going to make that point about the, the algorithm,
5: which is, to your point about the conspiracy, you're better off sharing an article that's a well-written article that you completely disagree with and get more people to share that just so a well-thought-out opinion is getting more attention. good point than yeah. sharing Alex but Jones, my point but we is don't the, do that because we're afraid of the backlash. Stuff, the
0: well-thought-out stuff will still sink because it's not, it doesn't generate
5: anger. Yeah, it may not, go, it may not be That's enough, it. Right. but because half the people won't, won't retweet half anything they disagree with, you already start with right. a smaller, and, yeah. they're, and partially because they're afraid of the backlash of, you, know, you look at every, I mean, you can predict every Facebook thread, you know, when somebody says, I don't agree with this, but I'm posting it anyway, and it still ends up being a terrible thread. You know, so, it's, and so I wish that we would, the bipartisanship of, just sharing well thought out ideas that we
4: don't agree with would be a start, but I'm not
5: confident. Uh,
0: well thought out ideas just won't work. You or. have to talk. Yeah. So, right.
4: technology created this problem. Technology can't solve it, right? One third of, at least a third of all the people in the United States identify with at least one issue that's demonstrably false. It may be as large as half the country, right? If you take in climate change denial, you know, uh, uh, contrails, anti vax, you know, uh, QAnon, all these things, that can only be cured by getting together as a community, right? We have to go face to face again. We can't all be staring at our screens and expect that to solve the problem, it just won't. And you know, I feel terrible because I spent my whole life building technology and you know, now I'm trying to help find a better path.
0: Well, just think of
5: everything we have said in this entire panel was a tweet or on Facebook, what do you think your responses would be? Uh, the difference between sitting in a room with people listening and having a discussion versus putting it all online It, it doesn't invite the same level of vitriol that putting it in, a, in a digital platforms does. Just
0: and thank so you for not being vitriolic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't gotten to the questions yet. Speaking got of questions.
2: engagement, let's yeah. open it up for questions. Uh, I guess there's mics over here, but uh, up there, the, 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 let's, let's, yeah, let's yeah, go wave with your you. hand if you have yeah. something. Yeah. Up there. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, ma'am. Just, just, just yell it uh, down uh, at us. Uh, yeah, I have a lot of
1: I feel I your that's pain. That's a separate sense
4: of it. I, So again, is. I think getting together face-to-face is the key thing. Go to the offices. I mean, you know the problem because you're obviously doing it. But yeah. that is the issue, right? We've allowed technology to mediate all these things, and they're using technology to protect themselves from the actual human consequences of their actions. Even
0: though the term of art is outreach on Capitol Hill, that, that way they think their Facebook page is
4: outreach. Oh, hey, yeah. can I just yeah. say, I love this. We have nothing but women. I am so psyched. <laughs> <laughs> Who's up? <laughs> Let's go to you, babe. Um,
7: hi, so I'm the social media manager um, at UT. And so I work on social media. So I use social media a lot. In the condolences. Um, <laughs> and so I was curious to know, we've talked a lot about the evils of social media and how it's kind of like degraded democracy, but there's also been instances where social media has been used to uplift democracy. Yeah. And yeah. so I was curious to know if, if any of you could comment on that yeah. um, and how we can use these tools, because they're not going anywhere anytime soon. So how can we use these tools to kind of undermine what they're doing? So
0: um, it, uh, going back to my original point of the distinction between motivation and deliberation, I don't think that social media has been used to enhance democracy. I think social media has been used in certain cases to enhance movements that I happen to like, right? So I love that the, the mall in Washington D.C. was filled with two million women with two weeks notice, right, and a lot of that happened on Facebook. And that's part of what we can do in a democracy, but the, the, that dynamic doesn't necessarily enhance the culture and, and process and, uh, and, and um, uh, health of democracy, right? So, um, so it's a very different thing, right? Um, and I do wanna caution about looking back to the spring of 2011 and the uprisings in Tunisia and Egypt, because that has been terribly uh, misunderstood, Mm -hmm. especially over here. Mm -hmm. Um, Almost nobody in Tunisia and Egypt used Facebook or Twitter at that time. A handful of people, they were all cosmopolitan, they all lived in Tunis or Cairo, uh, and most of what they did with social media was uh, inform people outside of Tunisia and Egypt what was going on. Meaning journalists, right? So we got this weird impression that all this was happening on Facebook and Twitter because journalists were following Twitter and that's how they learned about it because we've pulled all the reporters out of North Africa over the years, right? But the fact is people who rose up in the streets of Cairo did so because the price of bread doubled in six months. People rose up in the streets of Tunisia because of massive corruption, right? And actually corruption and police brutality applied to both states. There were real issues there and people put their bodies on the line. People died. People were bloodied. The prevailing party in Egypt, the Muslim Brotherhood, had no interest in democracy. They, they were not fighting for democracy, they were fighting for theocracy. Just because people rise up against an oppressor doesn't mean that what they want to install resembles what we would call democracy, right? There were massive uprisings in 1979 all across Iran. The last thing those people ultimately wanted and got was democracy. Let's go keep with.
3: doing what you're doing though you're, you're yeah, organizing yeah. communities well, is great yeah use
4: the technology right. yeah. against those companies <laughs> organize the people into indivisible groups go and occupy okay Ma'am, go ahead
8: okay hi my name is emily glenkler i'm a high school social studies teacher and this is just adding to all the anxiety i've already been feeling about <laughs> teenagers and social media okay. and i'm also a parent so I would love for something like tangible, some tangible advice when I walk into my classroom on Monday or when parents walk home today, like what can we do right now?
4: No computers in the classroom, (laughs) Um, no exposure to screens under the age of two, under an hour a day up to age 12, but nothing in the classroom. What you want to do is use the classroom to create social interaction to take advantage of having all the but people in the room.
8: Schools are moving to like, we're all in Google Classroom. All
4: right, yeah, right. no, like no. Literally but, Right. And, they get, and Google gives you those devices to yeah. get the kids hooked on YouTube, right? Yeah. And so that's the problem. We have to break that cycle. But you asked for the practical thing. Yeah. Sadly, the practical thing requires reversing field on a thing that we've believed in fervently for 20 years. I, so I don't, don't know if I, I don't really,
3: I don't necessarily agree with no computers in the, in the, in the classroom, <laughs> I don't mean for two year olds, but for high school. Uh, but you can really, you can help educate your students with you can help make them more media and technology and news literate. I know that is not the solution to all things, but I don't think computers are gonna go away anytime soon, I'm not sure that they should, but to help them understand all the dynamics that we're talking about here today.
0: Yeah, but kids aren't the problem, 50 year olds are the problem.
3: Yeah, that's true, actually, you're right. <laughs>
0: that is also
2: true. And go ahead.
7: Hi, I'm from Oklahoma City and um, So we have the Daily Oklahoman, but if you just saw the paper recently, it just got purchased again. So it's owned by a company now that owns uh, another paper, the Journal Record, too, which I wouldn't in the paper. But for most of my life, I've refused to subscribe to the Daily Oklahoman because I know the Gaylord family. They're real nice, but they had it. And then um, I can't remember that guy who was in Colorado had it. And it's never, it's been so cited one way or the other that we kind of have a news desert <laughs> where I That's live. Now I do pay for the Washington Post and I do pay for the New York Times. Plus up. And I do, I am, I'm a Slate Plus member which is what got me down here. Okay, nice. um, but um, you need local I miss. mean, if you live where I live, <laughs> I'd love some local <laughs> news Jim to mm-hmm. be able to Jim? Some, yeah, yeah, Jim yeah. oklahoma
5: city next city yeah
4: i'm joking i would love to but but maybe maybe you, you can help to organize right again one of the interesting things about this is is it, the same thing works at the school board level that works in washington dc right which is the, the basic indivisible model of direct engagement you know the great thing about local communities is generally speaking A lot of the functions, because they're physically closer, are more accessible. And if you get enough people doing it, maybe we can crowdsource a lot of that news.
3: There's several organizations that are, I mean, Civil's one of them, but there's others as well. What Jim is doing it that are enabling through financially and through other means of support, the the bubbling up of new local news organizations to fill those news deserts. So um, just keep Tribute? What's that? The there you go.: There yeah. you go.: Exactly. Well,
7: there's a few of uh, the people yeah. at the daily that okay. I do follow.: yeah, yeah. So I have no idea what's what going to happen in the paper now. I, I don't. Yeah. Okay. I don't know.: Hi.:
8: yeah, go um, ahead. this is probably a too broad of a question, but I'm sure I can simplify it. Um, I'm a former ABC News, and believe it or not, Fox News journalist who now has to spend time on both sides of the aisle trying to explain that, um, but I advise clients on how to use new media and how to work. And advocate um, for truth and their own stories. So my question to you that's been bothering me for, I guess, 20 years now is, I believe that Facebook and Twitter are media companies, and is there any way that we can, aside from regulation, really convince them of that fact they've seen at all the hearings to talk about trying to bring in all these news authorities, and I know you, many of you come from that world, but is that ever going to happen, that they're well, ever going to perceive I mean, that they really are media companies? They
0: dodge, they dodge that definition to escape from what Roger pointed out, right, right. This, this safe harbor, to right. keep themselves within the safe harbor that does not protect traditional broadcast and, and print outlets, right? But the thing is they are, it's not that they're not media companies, it's that they are sui generis. There's ne- never been right. anything like that, right. right? So the, uh, the taxonomy game, I think, misses the point. Yeah. I think it's a different question of whether this section 529 of the communications Act actually apply to them, and if so how, That's like a whole other policy argument. But the real challenge is to make sense of them as they are. We've never had anything like Facebook ever. Um, And we've never had anything like Google ever. And we've never had anything like Twitter ever. Uh, And I think the the proper way to address it is to look at what they do in the world. Um, And I happen to think that the main thing they do is social engineering. Uh, They all have a vision for how they would like people to behave and interact with each other. And they structure their technologies to nudge us to behave in that way. Uh, to which I always respond, "Who asked you to nudge us and engineer us, right?" That, to, to, to me, that's incredible hubris, um, and you know, hubris is one of the seven deadly sins. And what brought Icarus down? So maybe there is some hope. Um, but ultimately, I think that's how we have to address this question. But in the meantime, I think we get I think we get waylaid into this um, uh, into this uh, taxonomy discussion. Uh, And and I think even the discussion lets them off the hook, in a sense, right? We need to look at these problems uh, with fresh eyes um, and not necessarily look back to some model of the past. Remember, 2.2 billion people, that brings Facebook to a scale that no other media... Imagine if the BBC had 2.2 billion viewers slash listeners. It never has and it never will. So it's not even comparable.
2: Well, let's go to the gentleman up there. He's been having his hand up for a while.
4: No, no, I didn't say it can't be, but it's ver- what they've done is they've erected, they've had network effects. You guys know what a network effect is? It's when, when, you, cr- when you get one more of something, like another user or another node. One fax machine is useless, ten
0: fax oh, machines are useless. Is, do you think that they have an app like, that eventually will be replaced by something else? Will there be a post-based
4: in for a- only, only if regulation creates the window for that to happen. On current course and speed, there's, because there's no antitrust regulation, they're buying everything that can threaten them. And now they have frozen the market, so there's almost no money being invested in things that might compete That's with the them. Answer. So yeah. they've created a huge desert around themselves. That has to be stopped. To be clear, our government, and I know this because I do this now, this is what I do, uh, there are real people in our government who understand how important this issue is and are beginning to look at ways to address the very thing we're talking about. I do think that the conversation has changed. Now, it, we're still a long way from a solution, and I'm terrified, but, but it, it, it's not impossible, okay? That's good good evening,
8: Thank you. My name is Becky, and I'm a computer scientist, or long-lapse computer scientist. In fact, when I was writing software, Roger, I think you had short hair. Possibly. Yeah.
4: (laughs) No, I've had short, it goes up and down, right? And by the way, I've had really long hair. Okay.
8: I didn't know you then, during that phase. Um, And thank you for writing the book, Saeed. It needs to be written. Um, So, I had a phrase that I used to use with teams in the 80s when we were writing software, that someday computers will be useful. And what I didn't also say is that maybe possibly also scary. And I think what we're talking about here is how do we minimize the scary and maximize the useful. So one of the things that I've been thinking about is the role for experienced folks, uh, such as myself, to get more involved into the ethics side of the discussion to answer the following question, just because we can, does that necessarily mean that we should Yes. do something? Um, yes. So I'm interested in the follow on, I think this is one of the most important panels at the festival, how are you gonna build on that? And I'd I'd like to ask a a question that's been burning me for a couple, three weeks, and that was as a result of the hearings that were held that Facebook and a couple of others, not Google, um, attended. And I'd really like to hear all of y'all's opinion on what possessed Google to not show up.
4: We were talking about last night. I think it was a psychotic breakdown. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> to be totally clear I think it was malpractice by the board of directors to allow that to happen it was c- clinically insane I, I do not understand Google's <laughs> strategy but your point about ethics her point about ethics is profound and it, let me just give you one minute on it Steve Jobs had this notion that computers should be a bicycle for our minds he saw that Condors had much more efficient locomotion than humans, but you put a human on a bike and it becomes the most efficient locomotion of any species on Earth, and computers could do that for us. The problem with Google and Facebook is they use artificial intelligence to take over the functions and activities that make us individuals. They take away white collar work, they take away our ability to think for ourselves, we're using filter bubbles, and they use recommendation engines to tell us what we should like. Okay, and That is a dehumanizing thing. And we need to have a real conversation about, hey, wait a minute, is that what we want? Because we have a trust. We learned for 50 years that we could always trust tech. And these people have exploited that to our detriment. And we just have to recognize that Alexa is really dangerous. With IoT and 5G, you're taking the privacy problem into a third dimension, where people will not have the ability to opt out just because they don't buy the product. Because you're gonna go, it'll be like going to somebody's house that has firearms, right? You go into a house with Alexa, everything you're doing somebody can listen into because it's a hackable system. Mm-hmm. Uh, real quick, sir? Yeah. Uh, so quick question. I a little bit of so- Great. Good, yeah. Bring it on.
0: it's not at all like literacy because yes you can choose what to read but if you use facebook facebook chooses what you read facebook's algorithms are picking the newsfeed for you you're not picking that right so uh that's number one number two um look we are all susceptible to being fooled we are all fallible we are all busy we are all doesn't matter how educated you are i've been fooled and i'm supposed to be the biggest critic in the world of this stuff i've forwarded stuff that i found out rather quickly was not legitimate. Um, I think we've all done it. Maybe you did it and didn't know it, right? The problem can't be focused on training us to beware when there are these powerful machines that are, that are calibrated to undermine uh, any process that allows us to think in clear and deliberate ways about what's true, good, and important in the world. That is how they're calibrated. That is how they're designed. That is the problem. And that is a powerful force working against any of our own critical skills. So that means it doesn't matter how strong you think you are, you will occasionally be fooled. But we're not the problem. The problem is in the ecosystem. The problem is among all of us. So even if I figure it out, you figure it out, all of us in this room figure it out, there are still two point, nearly two billion people who aren't figuring yeah. it out.
3: I, I just wanna say it's multifaceted. Edu- in addition to the stuff that's being talked about today, education is absolutely key to our high school teacher in the room, education, and I know at the risk of sounding like a hammer that sees everything as a nail, more journalism, more local journalism, more reporting about technology in the tech companies, we're starting to see that happen. Filling news deserts, looking for solutions with all of your help that enable more more information getting out in the world, it, it isn't even if even if we get if it gets filtered by Facebook, there are other means that people get information. is absolutely essential.
2: So I apologize, but, we're yeah. out of time. Yeah, yeah. We're actually five minutes <laughs> over. I'm going uh, <laughs> to
1: You've been listening to a conversation about the impact of social media on our democracy, recorded live at the headquarters of the Texas Public Policy Foundation in Austin. Thanks for tuning into this episode of Conversations with the Texas Tribune. Visit texastribune.org events for more information about our public interviews. And if you like what you heard on this podcast, please be sure to rate us as awesome on your favorite platform and tell your friends about us. Until next time, this is Evan Smith.